0: It is called the $372 million burger, also known as the Impossible Burger, version 2.0. So why so much money for a burger? Because this burger is built from the basic molecules up. Molecules that come from vegetables, not from cattle. As a result, Impossible Foods, the company who makes this burger, will tell you that they have a burger that will be using 95% less land, 74% less water, and is environmentally friendly. But the reason most of us like a burger is the taste. And in spite of vegetarians trying to convince us about the latest, greatest tasting veggie burger, they really never taste like a burger. Now imagine you're a molecular biologist, someone who can take apart proteins and flavors, analyze them, and find substitutes that are made for vegetables and put it all back together. To do that, you need a laboratory, a brain, and a lot of money. Enter Stanford biochemistry professor Patrick O. Brown. He took a leave of absence from his dream job as a professor of biochemistry at Stanford to work on making substitutes for meat that looked like, and acted like, and more importantly, tasted like meat. He had both the academic credentials and venture capital to fund this. And fund it, they did. Even Bill Gates put in some money. Brown's first goal, to make a burger that tastes like, looks like, and cooks like, your favorite beef burger, right down to the hemoglobin. A burger that even the most committed omnivore would eat. Today I take the show's crew. Evo Tara and Producer Girl to one of my favorite burger joints to compare their famous burger to the Impossible Burger. We will match the taste and later talk about the nutrition. My name is Dr. Terry Simpson and this is Culinary Medicine where we sort out the crazy from credible about food from its source to its effect on your body, busting myths and showing evidence where food can be medicine. Americans love beef. When immigrants to America would write home and tell their friends and family in the old country about the abundance of meat, their friends didn't believe it. They thought that they were bragging. Meat in the old country was something reserved for special occasions. But in the U.S., meat was readily available. Adding meat changed the recipes the immigrants brought with them. Meatballs and spaghetti, for example, my son's favorite meal, is an invention of Italian immigrants in the United States. Not something that came from the old country in Italy. Although this dish has made it back across the Atlantic. The taste for beef in the U.S. peaked in the 1970s, but then declined by a third when the concern about red meat and your health meant that beef was replaced with poultry and that tasteless chicken breast. But there has been a recent increase in beef consumption, as the debate about the evil red meat has found that red meat really isn't evil. It really doesn't cause cancer or heart disease. Today, the average American eats over 55 pounds of red meat every year. The problem with Americans eating that much cow is that meant that there has to be a change in the way cows are raised. From the traditional way, which was pasture and grass-fed, to cows that are now factory farmed raised in feedlots. And this has led to enormous environmental issues. For example, what do you do with tons of cow feces? When not in a pasture, how do you feed cows? The food sources for cattle that are raised in feedlots is from what we call a monoculture system. And as you heard in our last episode, cows that are raised on grass and pastures provide a net gain for our planet's ecosystem. Those cows eat things that humans cannot. And, The cow dung provides fertilizer for the soil, so it's a net gain for the soil and isn't an environmental issue. Grass-fed beef becomes a part of the ecologic planet Earth's homeostasis, and that's good for the planet. Factory farm beef, on the other hand, is a net negative for the planet's environment. So many would argue that our taste and demand for beef is hurting our environment And we simply don't have enough pasture land to satisfy America's taste for beef. Enter the search for the holy grail of food. Beef that is made from vegetables, environmentally friendly, but delicious. So what we're doing for you, what we are doing, is this is a comparison of the Impossible Burger with Neiman's Best Burger at one of our favorite burger places, Deluxe. So, this is my partner in crime, Devo. Nice to see you all. And because we at Culinary Medicine firmly believe in experimenting, <laughs> we are going to eat. Which should we try first? We're we going to do a little impossible first? Yeah, let's, 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 I mean, that's why we're here. So, just on looking at it, the impossible burger is a little smaller than the regular mm, burger. Yeah. We ordered one regular and one impossible cut in half so we can each taste them side by side. It's not a blinded test, but it is. So I'm going to put a little bit of sauce on mine. I'm going to go sauce free. All right. Here we go.
1: It's a burger. It tastes like a burger. No doubt about that. I'm satisfied with the flavor of the burger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One more bite just for, you know, for science's sake. For science.
0: I would never think that's the vegetable burger. No.
1: No, I would. There's nothing in that that says that's not a real burger. Yeah. That tastes like a burger. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, what we're comparing it to is a Neiman Classic burger.
1: Let's see how that works. I think it's
0: More juicy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think in a side-by-side, I can tell. Yeah. Again, we're not blinded. We have our eyes open and we can see it.
0: So first taste, the Neiman Burger is juicier than the Impossible Burger. But the Impossible Burger looks like they it's overcooked just a bit. It
1: might be a little, yeah, I didn't quite a, as medium.
0: But as the second taste as I'm going through it, I think the taste are, after you get past that juiciness, I can't taste it. I can't either. I really can
1: I mean, If I had half a burger of that and half
0: the other one, I wouldn't, no. I wouldn't know. Now, what's interesting is, we had the... This is the Impossible 2 Burger, version 2, which okay. came out in January of 2019. Mm. All right, so April upgrade. had Burger 1 right. on New Zealand Air, and, and she didn't care for it.
1: Was what do you idea. think about
0: this one? It's a much better than that. Yeah. I can't tell the difference after the first bite. Yeah. You fooled me. I mean... Wow. I
1: don't, I don't notice a difference enough to...
0: And I've spent my life studying burgers. I got a Ph.D. in burgers. <laughs> you're a burgerologist? Burgerologist.
1: It's typically a bad idea to eat while you're recording a podcast, but that's the whole intent here, right? Right. Right.
0: They'll never know our mouths are open
1: while we're chewing this. Mm-mm. Just like we would never know that that wasn't meat we just had in our mouth. I'm impressed. Come I am to be impressed, Impossible Burger. Good job.
0: call me a fan. Since this podcast, I have had four Impossible Burgers. It's science, you understand. I'm testing. And as much as I love the taste of beef, this is a great-tasting, nutritious alternative. For more information about the nutrition of the Impossible Burger as compared to regular burgers, you can see it on my blog at yourdoctorsorders.com, along with a transcript of this podcast. Part of the taste for this burger comes from the heme. In a regular bit of meat, you have hemoglobin, but plants also make hemoglobin. The people at Impossible Foods used a little bit of genetic engineering to take heme from a legume, combine it with yeast, so yeast are making this on a large scale. It honestly looks like a beer brewery. Some of you know that in my graduate work, I did some genetic engineering myself, so I don't have a problem with GMOs, but we will have an entire episode later just about GMOs in the coming weeks. From my taste, and from the taste of my crew, the Impossible Burger cannot be distinguished from your standard meat hamburger. The ability to manufacture this quality product anywhere in the world with minimal environmental impact is not only an environmentally way to feed a hungry planet. But think, this technology can be used to feed humans as they go to other planets. Imagine a Martian Impossible Burger. So did Impossible Foods achieve their goal? On our scale of 1 to 5, where 5 is science and 1 is uh, I give the Impossible Burger 2.0 a solid 4.0, reserving just a bit of room for the Impossible Burger 3.0. Special thanks to Evo Terra and Producer Girl for lending their taste buds and comments to today's show. And of course, thanks to you for listening to this episode of Culinary Medicine with me, Dr. Terry Simpson. Here comes the doctor disclaimer. While I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. And while you should always seek the advice of a trusted, licensed medical provider with experience in your particular and concern before taking any action. Culinary medicine is a part of Your Doctor's Orders Network. And if you like the podcast, please do take a little bit of time to give us a nice review and subscribe to us. The podcast is edited and distributed by Evo Terra and his crew at Simpler Media. My executive producer is the talented and amazing video goddess producer girl from producer girl productions. You can follow me on Twitter where I am at Dr. Terry Simpson. That's D.R. Terry Simpson. And I'll be back next week when we'll have another conversation about food as medicine or in unveil another food con. Until next time, don't drink the water, drink the wine. You know, Eva, when April and I were traveling to New Zealand, on Air New Zealand, they had the Impossible Burger 1.0. The flight attendants weren't too thrilled about it, but my wife tried 1.0. And believe me, the step up from 1.0 to 2.0 is logarithmic. Don't bother me. I'm still eating.